Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Laura Kigueva James. So excited that you have joined us for season two, episode two. Um, First of all, just want to say thank you so much to all of our supporters, whether it's you are listening and are so excited for our new upcoming podcast or whether you are supporting us on Patreon. Thank you guys so much. If you'd like to support us, because that is how we do a lot of our work, please go to patreon.com slash for collardgirls.com, collard like the greens, and support us so that we can continue to do the work that you love. Thank you. And we are for collard girls. Okay. Yay! Yes. Episode two. Yes. Faith becoming our own. Faith becoming our own. Yeah. So first of all, thank you to everyone who listened to our first episode um, where I feel like I spilled my whole guts out into the whole world. (laughs) And it was absolutely beautiful. So Go through it, Tamika. Oh my gosh. Through... So it was a lot for me to share that. And so I'm really appreciative of like um, the amount of appreciation that mm. I received for from others who were able to listen um, and how it resonated with other people. And it felt worth it, you know, like initially, not so much. I was really afraid. Um, but yeah, but I'm glad that. I was brave enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you are being brave enough to share your story now. I am, but it's still terrifying as fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> vulnerability sucks. It does. But at the same time, as I was preparing for my story, um, I was inspired and empowered by you sharing your own story and was constantly like coaching myself like you can do this, you can do this, stop procrastinating, you can do this. Right. (laughs) And um, so thank you because in listening to your story, it was just an affirmation about like how all of our voices are important and necessary no matter how hard or scary um, or even painful that it gets like your story is needed um to really empower all of us so it was liberating to do it but also really scary so well i'm gonna thank you in advance (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i'm really looking forward to sharing this laura i'm really looking forward to giving it (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm just kidding. I am also looking forward to sharing it with all of you. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so here it is. Here we are. So in the Hebrew Bible, there is this hidden gem, the book, the Song of Solomon. And it's written from the perspective of a female. And in the first chapter of the book, the female writer declares, dark I am and lovely, 
So Dr. Renita Weems in her book, What Matters Most, explains that the aim of Song of Solomon is to convince readers, both male or female, to recognize themselves in the dark-skinned maiden, to identify with her desire to be understood, appreciated for her own worth, and to confront their own prejudices. This is where I am now. My journey of faith, faith becoming my own, has me confronting my own worth and the internalized prejudices that have prevented me from acknowledging that I am worthy. Intozaki Shange is the author of the choreo poem for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. I remember when I first read this book, It was my first encounter with writing that did not confine blackness and femaleness to one experience, but it was a multitude of experiences of the black woman that allowed a community to speak. When I watched the original choreo poem, I was captivated by the way actors embody the words of black women's experiences through movement. This play was influential for me and inspired the name of our podcast, for collared girls, because I wanted to create spaces for black women and other women of color to share, listen, and be impacted by our experiences, by our shared experiences of faith, life, and culture. One of the most impactful lines of For Colored Girls that still resonates with me today is I found God in myself and I loved her. I loved her fiercely. This quote reflects the journey of faith that I am in. This process of finding God in myself and loving her, loving her fiercely. So when I was growing up, I never saw God inside myself. God was an outward figure, this fixed image. God was a white man and God had a white son named Jesus. And these fixed images of God were presented to me by my black African parents without fail. And I'm not blaming my parents for this because this was their experience. White people brought white Christianity to our land. White people brought these fixed white images of God alongside healthcare and education for all. And although my family knew of God before the white man's religion and experienced God differently, this was their reality at the time. But when I was born in the US in a culture of racism, this fixed image of white Jesus became a heart issue, an issue that was internally problematic. My parents raised my brother and I in the church. We attended all white churches. But one Sunday, I shared with my father that I didn't think I was going to heaven because I didn't see anyone like me being saved. In the churches we attended, God was white. Church members were white. And I didn't see how this salvation, this white salvation, was connected to my salvation. And I think it was that next Sunday that my dad decided to take my brother and I to a black Baptist church. But we ended up leaving early because my brother told my dad that the preacher was too loud. (laughs) Too many amens. (laughs) So we returned to the white church where our friends were. 
But this question of recognizing myself as one worthy of being saved lingered. And then when I was 13, my father finally dared to share with me his own story of salvation, when he encountered God's saving power when he was rescued from the war in Burundi in 1972. My father's story gave me a new perspective that salvation wasn't just for white people or from white people, but salvation was justice-oriented. Salvation was physical, emotional deliverance for all people, especially people who are experiencing injustice. My father's story directed me to pursue a faith that was justice-centered, But even with this new truth, I still struggled with seeing myself as worthy of being saved. Because the truth was, I had a distorted understanding of myself because of the community I was in, the culture I was surrounded by, and I thought that my worthiness for salvation was connected to how close I was to whiteness. Whiteness represented by the way I dress, the always having my hair relaxed, the way that I talk. I was so convinced that being close to this fixed image of white Jesus determined my salvation. And yes, whiteness is that deep. But I feel as though I need to separate the fact that there is a difference between whiteness and my white family and friends. In the reality of racism, whiteness is a hegemic system that declares if you ain't white, you ain't right. And some of my friends, when I was growing up, were a part of this system. And some of my close white family and friends did their best to deconstruct how the system of whiteness impacted my life. However, no matter how hard my friends and family tried to dismantle the system of racism, white supremacy, the system deeply wounded me and created scars that led me to believe that I was not worthy of being saved. And I did not begin healing until I entered seminary in 2013. And it was in seminary where I had the chance to find God in myself, where I was able to acknowledge that my deliverance from all things evil, including racism and white supremacy, is not determined by who I am in the eyes of whiteness, but who I am, who I am as a beautiful black woman created in the image of God for abundance and flourishing. And then my second year of seminary, during reading week, I had one of the most transformative experiences of my life. A few of my classmates and I, who are all black and female, gathered for what was known as an introduction to the black experience. And we watched movies like The Color Purple, Players Club, Set It Off, movies that represented what blackness meant for them. We shared stories, we tackled assumptions, and at the end of our time together, one of my friends said that the black experience is not just one story, but it includes all of us. And it was in that moment when I had the opportunity to hear and listen to other stories where I realized that connectedness is more important than being the same race, culture, that it is in sharing our experiences with one another that truly matters. And this is something that I had not done until seminary. 
Typically, I would articulate my father's story or share other people's story of pain, but never my own story of faith of where God was saving me. And during that reading week, on a couch with three other amazing women, I shared, listened, connected, and accepted that I, that all of us, are worthy of being saved. As I look towards what's next for me, I'm in a season of taking the time to continue to share my story, to find God in me and love her, love her fiercely, love her until like the woman in the Song of Solomon, unapologetically knows, believes, and walks in truth that she is loved and worthy of being saved. Laura. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much. You are welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I mean... You shared a really vulnerable story. Mm. It's really, really hard to talk about your identity. And I think it's exceptionally hard in a lot of ways to talk about it as a black woman. Yes. Because there are many layers of stereotypes and things that we have to kind of um, work through um, throughout our lives, right? So many. Yeah, and then to admit that like, a part of you like identified or was having a hard time identifying Mm -hmm. that part right Mm -hmm. so like yeah I feel like your story um says a lot about identity yes right 100% yeah all about identity Uh Mm -hmm. identity as a woman yeah identity as a black woman yes (laughs) and identity as a first gen yes right yes all of that all of that yeah and I think so sidebar yeah I think there I mean of course right I I didn't capture like the full like explanation of my story because I think one big thing like my parents are Burundian immigrants um I was born in Minnesota right we lived in the suburbs one time but when my parents divorced um, my mom lived in the projects and my dad lived in the suburbs. Wow. And so like when you're every other weekend in white spaces and then jumping into literally the ghetto of Minnesota, America, <laughs> which is a whole nother experience. It's like, yeah, there's this complex issue yeah. that I feel like there's so much, as I was like sharing my story, there was like so much in me that was like, oh, and this experience and that experience um, that makes articulating one's identity hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but then at the same time, understanding like, oh, now I understand where all of these like wounds do come from. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, that's good. And, and also, um, what resonates with me personally is this piece, the piece about whiteness, mm-hmm. because I didn't, I wasn't born into like complete white space, mm-hmm. but a good portion of my childhood and growing up was in white spaces. And so I definitely could relate in some ways to what you were saying about 
whiteness being like the norm and also like what you pit yourself against like yeah am i worthy of this yes yeah yes Mm -hmm. yeah so how do you think identity plays into seeing god within ourselves yes identity plays a huge role into us embracing god within ourselves yeah and i would say this um you know when you um are i would i would start here like when you're younger and you're so one you don't know yourself that well at all um, and you're surrounded by one dominant culture, you are gonna connect yourself with the culture or the people that you're most familiar with. Right. And my reality in the time is like, both of my parents were escaping war in Burundi. They're, all of their family, their culture had been destroyed. And what was familiar to them was white Christianity. Mm-hmm. And what I was surrounded by was white Christianity. But in me, within me, I knew that something else was missing because it seemed like every time, you know, we would be, um, you know, sharing a faith story or anytime I was in a community, a white community sharing my faith story, talking about discipleship, I would always feel like an outsider. Mm. And I never felt like that, um, that that's really what God wants for any of us. And I think it's only until we start really connecting with ourselves that this experience of um, God really begins to come alive. Like being able Mm. to, um, I think the more that I connected with who I am as a black woman, as um, a daughter of immigrant parents from the continent of Burundi, the more that I dug into the questions about like, really, who are all of these parts of me? Even as I shared in my story, like even as I started lamenting that whiteness is no longer of mine, whiteness is not something I want to be a part of anymore. The more that I dug away from that and dug into the pieces of my ancestry, you know, that's where I've gotten very close to God. Um, And so I think when we talk about um, identity and God, I I think once we draw closer to ourselves in the way that uh, God has shaped us and um, that we connect more deeply to God. Yeah, that's really good. That's a really good point, friend. Like where you have this idea that like seeing not just seeing our like God in us, but also that relationship mm-hmm. being changed and transformed. The more you know yourself, mm-hmm. that's like really close to what I was saying. <laughs> My, uh, yeah, like this idea that like it is hard to have a relationship. Like I feel like God meets us wherever we are, mm-hmm. and also it is really difficult to mm-hmm. have a relationship in any capacity when we don't see ourselves as fully worthy, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. That is so good, that's a really good point. Yes, Mm. and so, and that's why when Jesus is speaking to his disciples as well uh, as a teacher and talking about the second greatest commandment, right, Mm -hmm. of love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't spend time in asking personally the question like, what 
what is myself made up of? Right. What, who are the experiences, bad and good, that are connected to the self? Right. What are the, if there are bad experiences, what do I need to release or heal from so that I can get to my authentic real self, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, and even as I was like writing this story, I was like, wow, this is like, Tamika said all of this. <laughs> but I also think that it just speaks to the larger themes of how, you know, knowing who we are is also deeply connected to knowing God. And I feel like Jesus knew that. And that's why Jesus said, like the greatest commandment is, yeah, love the Lord your God, but also, love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like that's why those are so closely together. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that is so good, friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is good. Good job. That's great. (laughs) Thank you. I love you. Yeah, so be a paper later. (laughs) It actually, it might be. Um, (laughs) It will be. (laughs) um, Yeah, so, wow. So, you know what's really interesting, though, is that there's this really, and I think, there's this really interesting point that that comes up when we think about being a Christian as an identity. Mm. Um, where I where I grew up thinking that um, outs- okay, so prior to me um, moving to like the suburban area where there was like whiteness around, I grew up in a black church where most people looked like me. There were some differences, obviously, (laughs) I mean, but um, I didn't quite question who I was Mm. until I was moved into a space where I couldn't see more people like me, Mm. right? But what seems to often be the narrative in Christian spaces is this idea of an identity as a Christian kind of like overshadows the rest of who we are. And I don't think that's with every like denomination or every community, but I don't often see a celebration of the individual people that make up the whole. Mm -hmm. It's more like our identity is in Christ. Therefore, all other things are secondary. (laughs) And I mean, I don't, again, I'm trying to be mindful of how I say it because mm-hmm. I don't like to overgeneralize about mm-hmm. any group of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. right? I identify as such, but I do think that that is a thing, mm-hmm. right? Would mm-hmm. you agree? Like, I totally agree, and it frustrates me to, it. like, it frustrates me right. when people say, you know, that we are we're all the kingdom of God, you know, that white, black, Asian, like we're all within this, uh, I guess, the sphere. And we are. We are, right. But in my blackness, God sees me. In my Asian-ness, God sees me. Right. In my whiteness, God sees me. Um, and it's not an umbrella. It is an acknowledgement of like, this is all of who I am. Right. Um, and and the reason why that frustrates me is because when you look at the stories of scripture, especially with Jesus, he never denies that he's a freaking Jew. Like right. he's Jewish. Right. He's a part of the Jewish culture. He knows the teachings. He knows all of the little details and intricate 
intricacies intricacies thank you um about who he is so he doesn't deny himself and so why when we talk about our christian faith do we choose to deny our identity yeah because i i think sometimes when i and i i don't know maybe i'm just getting on a soapbox that's not really necessary Mm -mm. but it feels like that comes up a lot in a lot of like whiter denominations <laughs> um, just because there's an uncomfortableness and recognizing that differences also make up um, the community mm-hmm. and not differences like like you have you like green things and I like blue things but like real impactful differences culturally mm-hmm. and I do think there are plenty of spaces that embrace that but until we can see each other as like also like a part of God mm-hmm. in all of our being, mm-hmm. then it really is not truly free. Yes. Right? Like, yes. I just, until we get to that place where my neighbor that I love, I can love my neighbor without my neighbor conforming to who I am mm-hmm. and what I need. Mm-hmm. But like, my neighbor is her own self. Yes. Right? Yes. And I love her because she is who she is. Yes. Not because she is like me or like wants to be like me. Uh-huh. Right? And she also is a child of God. 100%. Just like that. So just a short story. Yeah. So at my last appointment in Baltimore, um, one Easter Sunday, that was probably like our largest Easter service. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to do the uh, call to worship for Easter. You know, he's risen. He's risen indeed in Korean for no reason. Just because. Just because. Just because you could do it in Korean. Just because we could do it in Korean. And a large part of our congregation was either Korean American or Asian American. And and a growing part of the Methodist church is, uh, is Korean. And so I was like, you know, if we're all gonna say that we're a part of the kingdom, if we're all under this like one umbrella, then why not this biggest Sunday of the year? Like we, make ourselves uncomfortable for a bit and not use English (laughs) for this greeting. And I remember I got so much pushback for it, but like that, it was kind of like my test to say like, are we really people of faith? Um, Because um, I think at the time, there was this question if we're a multicultural congregation. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, if we're multicultural, then we're not gonna be using English every single Sunday. Well, boom. And and that was like, but I feel like in majority white church spaces to be multicultural means that, well, everyone knows English. No, 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 no. Um, a lot of people know Korean, a lot of people know French, you know, and a lot of people know languages that aren't always the colonizer. And like, we need to embrace that as well. Um, And that was a really interesting moment, but it was also beautiful when after the pushback 
and the language was already written in the bulletin and I already had um, the one of my members who speaks Korean to share that, who's also Korean and speaks Korean, um, to, to share that call to worship and every single English speaker responded back in Korean, I was like, yes, now this is the kingdom of God. Mm. And this wasn't to say that, no, it's just a Korean language, but just to kind of expose that, like, you know, it's not just English where we can declare the name of God. Right. Yeah. Not just that we declare it, mm-hmm. but that God speaks. Yeah. To yeah. us. God mm-hmm. meets us all where and who we are. Yes. Right. That was beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. So good. So okay, we're gonna move along because I have another question. (laughs) Energy answer. (laughs) Um, you did this thing. I did the explain explanation thing. You explained the difference between whiteness and your white family and friends. I did. Why did you feel the need to do that? I so, um. I would say, I think that for some of like my family and mm-hmm. friends do get uncomfortable when I talk about whiteness and um, and I feel like it almost comes across as like an attack mm-hmm. and to say, you know, um, some people may say, but I see you and I'm like, I know you do. <laughs> um, but so I do feel the sense of, um, kind of just being clear um, that not every single white person has caused me harm, but there is this reality of racism, white supremacy that has caused me harm. Um, and, and, And there's a difference because there are friends and family who happen to be white um, and there are some friends and family that have caused me harm, but then at the same time, there are not. Like there are, you know, the friends who have sat with me in some really hard spaces mm-hmm. and have done the work around dismantling whiteness and have like been my ally and have been my advocate. Um, and so for me, experience, Explaining that was right. also a part of my story yeah. and also reconciling my own tension with it. Um, because, yeah, I'm just like, I do have a ton of white friends. I love white people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I do. I love white people. But on the same side of things, I also realized that, you know, white supremacy and racism exist. And these are the ways that they wounded me. Yeah. And so, um, Yeah, and so that's why I did feel the need to explain it because I know that there are people who are close to me that see those things as the same and not separate. And I've come to a place in my life where I see them as two different things Mm -hmm. because I can see the people who have advocated and cared for me and I've also seen the people who have harmed me and they're not the same. Yeah, and I understand that. I I get that and appreciate like you honoring the people that, have been there with you and for you right so I just think I wanted to bring that up Mm -hmm. because I can see how that might be perceived as like you kind of like trying to cater to white fragility Mm. and maybe that is somewhat true but I think it's also important to acknowledge that there are complexities Mm -hmm. 
to our relationships mm-hmm. and complexities to even how we try to talk about racism, mm-hmm. you know, especially in our religious spaces mm-hmm. and the sensitivity to not to people's feelings, but more to the relationship you have with them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it does involve their feelings mm-hmm. and also honoring that relationship mm-hmm. that you I think it's fair. I think yeah. it's fair. So I just wanted to. Yeah. yeah. And and I guess I would also say that this is a little bit of my experience, too. Right. Because I had to reconcile, like, you know, I, I mean, I went to church with some people who would say they love me and compare me to their black dog. Right. And yeah, this was, yeah, I know. Right. Mm -mm. And, and so when I started, you know, really thinking about like, what is racism? Like what, how has this impacted me? You know, I really, um, I had to reconcile that because it wasn't okay. Like you can't love me and say that I'm like your black dog. That doesn't; those sentences yeah. shouldn't even go together. I mean, what kind of love are you talking about? That's a that's, super, just, uh, that's a superficial yeah. white people love. Yeah, what? That is whiteness yeah. and racism. Absolutely, th- that was yeah. um, hidden. Right. Um, but as a young person, um, I really needed a, a way to figure out like how do I deal with this, mm-hmm. right? How do I acknowledge that you can pass me by in church and say these derogatory things to me? Mm. Um, and so, uh, I mean, that in my, in my own story, that's kind of how I've been like, okay, this is how we reconcile it, that mm. we acknowledge the people who have harmed you, and we also acknowledge the people who have stood by you. That's good, mm-hmm. yeah, I hear that, I yeah. think that's good, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. So. I know something. I know some things about where you are right now. You do. But I don't think that actually our listeners know about where you are right now. So, like, it's kind of a two-part question, so I'll just ask the first one, right? Yeah. So let's talk about that. Where are you right now in your life? Yeah, so nobody knows. This is so crazy that I haven't, like, talked about it because it's been a really crazy five months. Mm -hmm. Um, But so I left my current appointment in Baltimore Mm -hmm. and I'm no longer serving at the church, um, but I am serving um, for the larger um, United Methodist Church in our advocacy arm, um, doing work that um, I did on the local church level, um, but I'm doing this work every single day. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the work and like, picking up trash outside of the church or uh, or constantly having to write a sermon, um, which I love, but also preparing a sermon every Sunday is super draining, mm-hmm. um, especially when you yourself are having a really hard time with figuring out where do you find hope this week after right. um, the three, 278th school shooting or gun violence experience right. um, or death in the city of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I've, I'm again in a period of transition. Mm-hmm. I am in a new job that's still in the church, um, but in uh, a different part of the church that for me right now gives me a ton of life. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel rested and rejuvenated and encouraged. 
Um, and, and I'm also still in this place where um, I'm very much on this journey of trying to figure out like, where is God within myself? And how do I continue to love her um, as I pursue my passions, mm-hmm. to love her um, as I grow as a person? Um, and yeah, I'm just like, it's so crazy to say this, but um, because I haven't felt this way in a really long time, but I'm happy. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I just like want to acknowledge that. And it's not that. Well, no, I wasn't really happy at the church. Yeah. Um, I think there was so much going on um, that and so much that I did not create boundaries around that mm-hmm. it became very draining for me. Um, and so I was just really grateful for this new opportunity to come. And here I am. Here you are. Here I am. I'm, I'm going to say I am very proud of you. Because that's hard. It to, was the hardest yeah. thing I've ever done. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I remember um, when I was at this conference, and please know that, like, no one just picks up and leaves from a church. <laughs> um, like, I feel like I've been in this process of discernment for the last year. Yeah. Um, but literally working with through my counselor and so many other friends, including yourself, of just like, is this the right place for me? And even acknowledging that it's not that I'm not meant to be in the church. It's just that in this season, it's not best for me to be here. Right. Um, and doing that work around discernment um, was so hard um, because, yeah, I had people say, like, you can't just get up and leave. And my response having to be, actually, it's a life or death situation Yeah. if I don't. Um, and trusting that within myself. Mm-hmm. Trusting yeah. yourself yeah. to know what you needed to, to do. To know what I needed. Hey, I needed. <laughs> listen. To know what I needed. Right. Yeah. And I think you already touched on this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. So what do you think this means in terms of what you're called to do? Mm. And it's not, it's it can't doesn't have to be a one answer. Yeah, because this is a com- like you don't have yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like I know that I am still exploring how to like define that. Mm-hmm. But in this moment, what I feel that my calling is leading towards is to um, really breaking the mold of what pastoring looks like in the 21st century. I feel that a lot of people have expected pastors um, to sometimes uphold um, certain systems. So there are pastors that do as much as they preach the gospel, at the same time um, lead their congregations to be so comfortable that they uphold systems of white supremacy, they uphold systems of racism, and don't do what we're called to do, which is to dismantle through the love of the gospel. Mm. And I truly feel that through the work that uh, God has really delivered me into, Mm -hmm. um, that I'm doing that, that I am using the gospel as a way of dismantling systems of oppression Mm. and really um, pastoring in a way that I 
never could have imagined Mm -hmm. as a child. Um, And um, yeah, it's a calling that I think every day is gradual and every day um, is becoming something new um, because I've never experienced or seen something like this. Mm. Um, But uh, yeah, I, I definitely know that God is leading me to be a pastor, but in a way that I haven't seen before. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's Thank so good, friend. You're you. such an inspiration. Oh. I'm just saying. Oh. I'm not there yet where I have like finished the school and all the things. and You'll be done before you know it. Lord of mercy. Amen. And then God help us all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm being serious. Like just watching you like kind of grow into this woman that you are that you are becoming and mm, are mm-hmm. is really inspirational mm. so thank you thank you you're the bestest yes, i love you <laughs> <laughs> so much thank you and thanks so much for sharing thank you yeah, this thanks is such a good good like story to share wow yeah mm-hmm. for sure yeah so scary right <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Before we end today, I want to leave you with some words of reflection from Upile Chisala's book, Soft Magic, where she writes, I want to think that God smiles when a black woman is brave enough to love herself. Take time this week to love yourself, to find God within you and to love her, love her fiercely. Please continue to follow us on Facebook or Instagram at For Collared Girls or Twitter at For Collared Girls. You can follow me at L Kiggy, that's L for Laura, K-I-G-G-Y. Or continue to follow Tamika at Tamika underscore J. That's Tamika, T-A-M-I-K-A underscore J underscore. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Peace.